0: You you probably know this sentence, uh, but here's our our message today. It's pretty simple. When everything is a big deal, say it with me. Nothing is a big deal. Say that with me. When everything is a big deal, nothing's a big deal. That's one of the hardest parenting lessons that, that Stephanie and I had to learn, especially with your first child. You want them to be perfect. And so every little time they step out of line, man, you're jumping on them. And every deal they do on a scale of 1 to 10 ends up being a 10. Well, the truth is everything's not a 10. And if you do make everything a 10, then nothing stands out, right? I mean, then, then nothing's a big deal. So you learn, as we say as parents, to pick your what? Pick your battles, all right? If you're going to be a good parent, you've got to do that. Now, let me, let me illustrate this the best way I know. Uh, the, the difference here is between being a parent and being a grandparent, all right? As a grandparent, you sort of figured out what the big deals are. And you're much more lenient and laid back about things, all right? And, and every once in a while, something comes up. We were with, with George a couple weeks ago, and he's been a delight. And finally, he sort of crossed that line, man, and I had to pop his little bottom. He, because he, he had violated a big deal. Now, the, the cool thing I want you to see this morning is that our Heavenly Father is a great Father. And he knows what the big deals are and he knows what isn't a big deal. In fact, in his word, he has very clearly distinguished for us what the big deals are. Uh, Last week, we looked at this passage. We read at the beginning of the service, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 39, that they asked Jesus, what's the big deal? Now, understand this. I gave you a wrong statistic last week. I said the Pharisees had 356 commands. That was wrong. The Pharisees had come up with 613 specific commands. And every one of them was a big deal to them. And so Jesus blows their mind when he comes in and says this. Here's the big deals. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Look at the next screen. There we go. This is the what? First. Now look at the next screen. And the second. Second. Is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus simply to say there's a first commandment and a second commandment implies there's a 13th, 15th, and 400th. Everything is not on the same level. In fact, there's a, there's a church written to in the book of Revelation that was a really great church. According to everything God said, they were, they were sound theologically and they were hardworking. Sound like everything's okay. But he says, i got a problem with you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, that's a big deal. And if you don't go back to your first love, I'll remove your candlestick. So, the first and second commandment, the great commandments. Now, the next chapter in Matthew, in Matthew 23, he talks about weightier matters. You see, on, on top of these Pharisees, having 613 commands, they were so diligent in not breaking any command, they had established fences around the command. So you don't even get close to breaking the command. And so Jesus is dealing with them. Go go to the next slide, if you would. Weightier matters. We understand what that means. We say, we would give this idea more weight. God says there's some theological truths that gather more weight. Listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anson and cumin. Those are little herbs you'd find in someone's kitchen. What's happening is God said tithe. They say, let's make sure we don't leave anything out. So they're even tithing little kitchen spices. And Jesus says... In the midst of this, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Well, what does weightier merit mean? It means it's more important. You see, th- these Pharisees had gotten so uptight about these little things. Here's the, the trouble. They were forsaken the big deals. They gave such scrupulous attention to little details that they were left with no time or energy to actually do what God wanted them to do, which was to to go for justice. What does that mean? We want everybody on this globe to be treated fairly and right. To to, to go for mercy, that we actively extend kindness to people in need. That we are faithful. What's that talk about? It's talking about integrity. You see, the Pharisees were so uptight about little deals— that their life was hypocritical about the really big deals. And, And Jesus says, guys, you've been so uptight about this that you have forgotten what really counts. And then Jesus gives a really funny illustration. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Go one more verse. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's a great illustration. It's funny. You see, in that day, if you were to drink your beverage, which was normally wine, you would get a gauze and you would filter it. Why? Because if a fly were to get in your wine and die, then it would be unclean. And so you would always filter it through this gauze. Now, these guys have gotten the galls so tight that they're even filtering out little gnats. And Jesus says, here's what you guys look, at, look like. You are filtering a little bitty gnat out. And at the same time, you are swallowing a camel. Now, just get that in your mind. And Jesus, what's Jesus saying? He's just simply saying is, You guys have everything out of proportion. That's what happens to Pharisees. It's not that they're bad people. They just get everything out of proportion. So you've got first commandments. We've got weightier matters. And then another great passage is 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about things of first importance. Apostle Paul is writing a church that's in trouble. They're fighting about all kinds of little bitty deals. He said, let me, let me, let me help you guys out here. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So what is it? What is this gospel? Look at this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Those are big words. Because if you got things of first importance, what does that immediately imply? There are also things of secondary importance. What are the first importance? Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. That's a powerful passage. Let me tell you this. It was revolutionary in my life. Because, let let me try to explain this to you. Here's the way I grew up by very well-meaning teachers. Go show the next slide if you don't mind. you got all these beliefs, and, 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 that, and that line could go in each direction. And, and they're all up top because what I was taught was every theological doctrinal belief was a big deal. And then actually I can remember being told by an elder, you could be right about a hundred of these and wrong about one and you would go to hell. Anybody else raised that way? And so where did that come from? Well, it came from some really good people who were very meticulous about wanting to keep Scripture. But we found out the same thing the Pharisees found out is, if you make everything a big deal, then nothing's a big deal. And so we fought about all kinds of things. I can remember as a kid, myself, being uptight about whether women should wear head coverings or not. Being uptight, the first time we actually had a chorus, come and sing at our church. I'd been taught everybody had to sing at the same time for every song. And my goodness, when that chorus started humming, I knew we were going to hell. I mean, it was, just, it was just all these little things. And our churches began to argue about how many communion cups you use and where can money go. And it was just a really, really bad system. It led to a lot of heartache. And so the first time I read this passage... It just blew me away. Paul didn't say what I'd been learning. Paul said, yeah, yeah, buddy, there are some big deals, and you better not blow those. But there are also things that are secondary. And so look at the next picture. What Paul says is there are some things, guys, we got to all agree on. Some things that are rock bad truth. There are other things that, that we may not even see eye to eye on. We just keep studying them, but we don't get uptight about them. You see, what Paul is saying is some things aren't big deals. They're not. Now, guys, we're not the first people to struggle with this. The Pharisees obviously did. The early church did. Romans chapter 14, you got this this church that's exploding with Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews are saying, you got to keep the Jewish holy days. I mean, you've been doing that your whole life. Some people say, no, you don't have to keep the holy days. Some are saying you better not eat any meat if it was used down the pagan sacrifice. Others are saying, it doesn't matter. It's not unclean and clean anymore. Some are saying, you better be a vegetarian. Some are saying, you better eat. You can eat meat. It's okay. And they're all getting mad about it. They're coming to church and they're, they're fighting about it. And listen to some of the things Paul says about this. Verse 1, Except the one whose faith is weak Without quarreling over disputable matters. How many of you have ever been in a church where you quarreled nonstop about disputable matters? Well, that's what's going on here. He says, stop doing it. Verse four, who are you to judge someone else's servant? This person's a Lord's servant. They'll answer to him, not to you. Or verse 12 and 13, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your Nine. Not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of another brother or sister. See what's going on here. When you make the little deals, big deals, people begin to stumble. Because people can't see those things eye to eye. And then I come in and go, you better believe it just the way I do. And you go, I don't see that. So let's talk about this for a moment. How do you know? How do you know what really are the big deals? Let Let me say a few points, at least help me. Number one, God makes big deals plain. Amen? Do you think God's trying to trick you? No. I, I grew up thinking God has got these weird little loopholes, you know, and if, if I violate that, man, I'm in trouble and I can't quite understand it all. Guys, God's not trying to trick you. That's why God went through here and said, okay, guys, here's the first commandment. Here's the way to your matters. Here are the things of first importance. He's not trying to trick you. God makes them plain. When you read something in the Bible and God says, this is the first important, you better perk up. When you read something in the Bible on the negative side, says, if you act like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, you better pick up. You better perk up and look at that. Everything is not a big thing. Now, let me say this. He makes the big things plain. And, and let's just, if we're going to have a moment of honesty here, let's just say this. In the Bible, everything is not crystal clear. It's not all plain. Uh, There there are certain issues in Scripture that are very hard. Uh, This is one of my favorite passages. Peter says in one of his books, listen to this, even I don't understand everything the Apostle Paul writes. Is that not amazing? Even Peter says there are certain books and letters that Paul writes I'm having a hard time with. Now, if the Apostle Peter can have trouble with certain verses, I think I can too. So it's a big deal, God makes it plain. Number two, read the Bible and ask, what were the big deals? Just read it. Just, just, just read, especially the New Testament. Just read it through, asking this question a preacher taught me a long time ago. What did they make a big deal about? And another question, are the things I'm making a big deal about made a big deal about in Scripture? Now that'll blow your mind. I was talking to a friend this week. He's in his 30s now, but when he was in his 20s for the first time, he opened his New Testament and he read all the way through it. And he was blown away by the things God said were big deals and by some of the things he had grown up being told were really big deals. And his reaction to seeing that in Scripture was anger. He was mad. He felt like he had been lied to. A few folks after first service told me they had the same feeling. So just open the Bible and read through it, asking God, reveal to me what the big deals are. And then number three, I think we found out in these passages that we need to put a focus on gospel-centered issues. What are gospel-centered issues? They are issues that have to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For instance, if you're reading through the Apostle Paul's writings where he's correcting churches, there's a lot of things he just leaves alone. But I'm telling you, if you begin to mess with the gospel of grace, if you begin to teach that you are saved by what you do, not what God did, he gets rip-roaring mad. For a group, I mean, to show you how crazy he gets, to a group of Judaizer teachers who are saying, you you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. He said, I wish the knife would just slip and you'd cut yourself. I he gets rough there. Because these are big deals. And so Paul says... When you start messing with the gospel, with with the basic principle that you're saved by what Jesus did for you on the cross and on the resurrection, then that's when you get upset. Now, those are some good filters, I think. What are the big deals that are made plain? Just read your Bible asking and make sure you center on gospel-centered issues. Now, I wanna make an application of this, okay? And this is Buddy's application. Nobody else's application, but it's mine. And what I want to do is I want to look at three distinctive doctrines in churches of Christ. Things that sort of often set us apart. The people come in and say, well, that's a little bit different than what I grew up with. And and pass them through these questions. Now, I'm not trying to pick on churches of Christ this morning. We could pick most any denomination and do the same thing. Because most denominations have those distinctive, unique things. This is just what I know, what I grew up in. And the three issues I want us to look at are believers' baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, weekly communion in the worship assemblies, and acapella singing in worship assemblies. Let's take these three questions and let's look at that. Believers' baptism for the remission of sin. Is it a big deal? Is it plain in Scripture? Well, there are some very plain statements. First time the gospels ever preached and people want to become Christians, they say, what do we do? And Peter says, here it is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I could give you 10 passages, just that plain. Well, how about if you just read through the Bible? You didn't know what anybody believed about baptism. You just, with no preconceived ideas, just said, I'm just going to pick up my New Testament I'm just going to read through it asking this question. Is baptism a big deal in Scripture? Did it have anything to do with people accepting Jesus Christ? I had a friend who didn't grow up in any kind of church who actually did this. He lived in Auburn. He locked himself in his apartment for a week, had enough food, just read through the New Testament because he was confused about this issue. And he came through that and go, you know what? There's no way you can read the Bible and say, this is not a big issue. Number three, baptism is a big issue in my estimation because it's tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's a big one, I believe. Second, weekly observance of the Lord's Supper and worship. Well, is it plain? Well, Jesus said this, do this. That's pretty plain. When Jesus tells you you need to do something, that's in red letters, that's normally a pretty big deal. I believe that. Second, if you read through the Bible, would you think that there was much significance about communion? Well, here's what you'd find out is, not only was it in their worship assemblies, but my goodness, it was the center of their worship assemblies. I don't want to disappoint you, but it wasn't the preaching. It hurts my feelings. But it was, it was that, that. I mean, that's what they did. And then number three, what is more tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus than communion? I think it's a big deal. Now, I'm going to sound really old-fashioned here, and I'm okay with that. But personally, I could not be a part of a church, a member of a church, that didn't make a big deal about baptism in the Lord's Supper. I think it passes the test. That's as plain as I can put it. Well, let's get to that third issue, musical instruments or a cappella singing. If you're new to us, one tradition in Churches of Christ is we sing a cappella, which simply means without instruments. Honestly, I love a cappella singing. Honestly, I prefer a cappella singing. But let's, let's go through the test. Is it plain in scripture that's the only way to sing? You see, I grew up hearing preachers say, if you sing with the piano, you are going to hell. It was just that plain. Not making that up. But then I read the Bible, and it really didn't even address it, more or less, be plain. And the major passage we used was Ephesians 5.19, which probably doesn't even have to do with worship assembly. And there's all these Greek words we debated. Probably the number one was a, a Greek word called "solo," which at some points in history has literally meant to worship with the instruments. Other time in history, it's been interpreted to worship without instruments. And we really don't know. And so I'm thinking, you know what? Is, could, could, is God looking for a loophole here to condemn people over something that has almost no evidence? I asked this question, then number two. If you were just to take someone away and say, uh, don't, I won't give you any preconceived ideas. You don't know anything about us and our tradition. I just want you to read through the New Testament. And then at the end of that reading, I want you to answer this question. Was singing with or without instruments a big deal? You can go, no, I don't think so. Wasn't even, wasn't even addressed. Wasn't even talked about, you know. It just doesn't seem to be a big deal. And certainly, question number three it has nothing to do with the death bell and resurrection of Jesus. So here's my journey. I grew up buying all of our arguments about instrumental music. I can see my, my neighbor, Ron Lambert back there. I used to go and persecute all my neighbors because they sang with pianos, all right? And so I would, I would and, and I grew up buying all the arguments that this was not what you're supposed to do and the historical argument. Now, but let me say this, even as a teenager, in my mind, I thought, this can't be that big of a deal. I mean, we're going we're gonna to divide churches over this. We're going to tell people they're going to hell over this. And so every preacher that would come to my church, I would go to them, and I would ask, you know, tell me why there are these other issues we all can have different opinions on, and this one that's not even addressed in the Bible, we got to all agree on. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you, they did not have a good answer. And so my mind was buzzing And so the more I studied this, the more I thought, you know what, buddy? I can't make a big deal about this. I don't have any big agenda about this, but but I can no longer draw lines about that. In fact, when I moved here 20 years ago, this is nothing new, a man came and secretly interviewed me in my office with a tape recorder, and the thing I got in more trouble than anything else I said was, musical instruments in worship are not a big deal. So maybe I'll get in trouble again, okay? But I just think that's the conclusion of Scripture. Listen to me, guys. I'm not trying to teach you to be less biblical this morning. I honestly believe we're learning to be more biblical. So, let's and conclude with these thoughts. When everything is a big deal, let me make some points that I think are really important. Number one, big deals are neglected. That's the problem. Buddy, you've got to be right on everything. But the truth is, if I emphasize everything, I emphasize Nothing. I can remember being the youth minister of the Landmark Church back in the early 80s, and I got reprimanded because in our youth devotionals, we were talking about love too much. <laughs> can you believe that? The thing that Jesus said, or the top two, we thought were namby-pamby, weak theological issues. How sad. Number two, when everything is a big deal, little deals are elevated. Many of you grew up in churches where before you could teach a Bible class, you had to fill out a questionnaire that had nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with the first and second commandments. But they would ask you, did you drink wine? They would ask you, would you sing with musical instruments? They would ask you, did you dance? They would even ask you, do you participate in mixed bathing? Whatever that is, okay? So, that does sound bad to me. But I'm telling you, it... it um, I mean, little deals were so elevated. I say this with nothing but embarrassment. But I once was a part of a church where we argued for weeks on end whether we could put a cross in the front of the auditorium, while at the same time we had guards at the front door to make sure no black person entered. That's how screwed up we got. Little deals are elevated. Big deals are neglected. Number three, churches divide. Here's the sad thing. I love Churches of Christ. I love our movement. Our movement began not as a group of people saying we're the only Christians, but as a group of people saying we just want to be Christians only. We just want to to read our Bible and be honest about it. And this movement exploded till about 50 years ago when we got all bogged down in all these little issues. And a movement that had been uniting Christians for a century began to disintegrate in one division after another. Many of you have seen that. And then number four, when everything is a big deal, Christians are led to this. You are either led to arrogance or despair. Either you decide that you actually do have all a hundred things right, that you've got it all together and you can't look down your nose at anybody who looks at any of these issues differently or you're smart enough to go, the truth is, no matter how hard I study and how hard I work, I'll never get it all together. I'll never get it theologically all together. I'll never get behavior all together. I will simply just, and, and so finally, if your salvation is based on you being right about all of those a hundred things, you finally end up in despair. So as the worship team comes on stage, I want to ask you, because of maybe a theology that you grew up with, do you find yourself in either of these two positions? Maybe, if you'd be honest, you've been arrogant with people. There are things that I have said to people years ago that to this day I still regret because it was a very judgmental, arrogant spirit. And maybe today, you just want the church to pray that you get out of that. Or maybe, I think probably this is more... Some of us, we really understood what was being said. And what was being said is, you're saved on the base of, of your perfection. And you are honest enough to say, I, uh, I can't do it. I can't figure it all out. I can't dot every I and cross every T and Man, I, I, I'm, maybe you can do it, but I can't do it. And there's a lot of folks out there not here today because they quit. There are even people in here, and you kept coming to church, but honestly, you quit dreaming about being a fired-up disciple of Jesus because you were in despair. And I hope this morning that what I've shared with you is good news, that God is not trying to trick you. He's made it plain what the big deals are. Oh, you can study the rest of the stuff the rest of your life. Good for you. But he's made it plain what the big deals are. And you embrace those and embrace him. And he'll bless you. So if you come to this assembly, and for whatever reason, because of your own mistakes, your own failures, you feel despair, we are here for you, and we would love to pray for you. So why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.